Can you speak? Can you speak, Berkeley? She was trying to paw the microphone again. Come here. Speak. She was just doing sign language. Can you, Berkeley, can you say your name? Say your name for the microphone. I don't think it's going to happen. She was just meowing at me. At the end of every episode of My Favorite Murder, one of the hosts has a cross-eyed Siamese cat named Elvis. They always say, hey, Elvis, you want a cookie? Which is a treat. And he meows. It's very cute. And you could have been Elvis, but you're just some mute beach. Sorry. I'd say that and she rubs against me. She's like, I still love you. Oh, we love you, Berkeley. <laughs> yeah. So Zencaster is Quen, first of all, because I listened to our last episode and it is crystal fucking clear. Oh, yeah. So we had some loops to jump through, but I always have to send like a Zencaster link to her email. And thank God Sarah has a simple email. I do. This isn't seventh grade anymore. That's right. What was your seventh grade email well, I address? I still have it. And you know me, I was a huge Beatles fan. It's not even that exciting. It was fullonthehill43 at hotmail.com. Oh, that's cute. I thought it was t- going to be tater tot 69. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I'm, I still have that email address. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's literally the first email address I ever had. You have a cool email address. When I was in middle school, I had this obsession with cows. Did you know this? No. I can't wait. Keep going. So there was something about cows that I really, really loved. (laughs) That's a good sentence, man. And like I mentioned it at one point to my parents. And from that point forward, my next three birthdays and Christmases was cow shit. (laughs) Not cow, not literally cow shit, but like, just like. (laughs) So. So if you look around my house, you will see like remnants of Adam used to collect cows. Okay, yeah. Hang on. I've seen things. One sec. Hang on. Okay. This thing, it's missing its horns. This, also missing its horns. (laughs) I moved a lot. I moved a lot. These cows have cowbell travel. (laughs) And then wait, here's another one. Here's another one. A cow. Yeah, I was gonna say, I've seen some of this stuff. Yeah. It's not as prevalent, like, in my house. I don't have nearly as much. I donated a lot of it. It was fucking stupid. But yeah, I still have some of the cute stuff that <laughs> that I once had. And it's a lot of, like, ceramic cow things with missing appendages. Anyways! <laughs> today we're going to be discussing Chapter 10 of The Prisoner of Azkaban, The Marauder's Map. Ooh, that's a good time. Yes, it is. I've been waiting for this chapter. I love it. Real quick, chapter nine, winner, loser. <laughs> the loser of the chapter is very obvious. Snape. Snape, because he yes. sucks. <laughs> yes. The winner of the chapter is Dumbledore, because he's bad ass. That's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. yeah. Got, for once, I predicted you. <laughs> For real, though, like, Dumbledore is pretty badass in that chapter. Yeah. Oh, I didn't, you know what? I never said what my email address was. It was something about cows. I forget what it was. <laughs> Anyways. Tara wrote a, uh, nope, Tara didn't write a thing. I wrote a thing. Tara's going to read it when she stops laughing. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how well I do with this. Okay, take oh. it away. <clears throat> chapter 10, The Marauder's Map, Fuck Yes Bitch. Y'all ready for another roller coaster chapter? Let's get into it. 
Harry is still recovering from falling several stories and being worried about seeing the Grimm twice and almost dying twice. Harry, you almost died once. If that bus drives that reckless all the time, there's no way it would have hit you. Draco is magically cured now, which means he can taunt Harry for something that was actually terrifying and life-threatening. If I were one of his fellow Slytherins, he wouldn't have long to celebrate his newly healed arm because I would have ripped it off and beat him to death with it. Ron gives fuel to fire of Ron and Draco <laughs> shippers and flings a crocodile heart at Malfoy. Snape is still a dick fuck. And at Defense Against the Dark Arts, everyone tells Lupin what a dick fuck he is. And Lupin is like, I know, boo. After class, in which they learn about hinky punks, which shall henceforth be a new name for gay twins, Harry asks Lupin to help him with the Dementors. And Lupin is like, lit. But let's wait till after Christmas. I is busy. Hey, guess what, motherfuckers? It's Christmas. And y'all, this is even more Christmas than the last time. Everyone gets to go to Hogsmeade right before school closes for the holiday, except for Harry, obviously, but after everyone is gone, Fred and George pull Harry aside and give him the holy grail of magical objects. Pull out your trumpets and hawk the Herald Angels could is the Marauder's Map, bitches! <laughs> It shows Harry all the secret passages at Hogwarts and where every single person is in the castle. So he takes a secret passage to underneath Honeydukes and gets to Revel and Hogsmeade just in time to hear that Ron was going to buy him a blood lollipop and chocolate covered cockroaches. That is so rude. Hermione is like, what the fuck? And once she gets over it, they go outside, which looks like a Christmas village. Oh my god. And they're like, let's get fucking mortal. So they go get Butterbeer just in time for a bunch of adults to show up. McGuff, Flitwick, Hagrid, Fudgepacker, and Madame Rosmerta, who is totally a hooker. They talk about Sirius Black and how he was James's bestie and the Potter's secret keeper and Harry's godfather. And when he let it slip, Voldy went and killed them. Hagrid talks about how Black was the first person he saw after the Potters were killed and how he almost gave Harry to him, but instead, this is when Sirius lent him his motorbike. Oh, and there was a little fat bitch named Scab... Uh, Scabby... Uh, yes, yeah, Scabby. That was his nickname. Because he was real fucking gross. Yeah, that's it. But his real name is Peter Pettigrew, and he, like, worships James and Sirius, and then, and then once it came out that Sirius betrayed James... Then old Scabby grew a dick and confronted Sirius, and then Sirius killed him. Well, well, that's a reality check. But hey, don't worry, Harry. It's still Christmas for fuck's sake, so yeah! <laughs> if I could, and I know that Podbean probably won't let us do this, but I really, really wish I could name this, this episode, Old Scabby Grew a Dick. <laughs> knows what magic will come out of our mouth oh uh, what's more important is what magic will go into our mouths also this hair caught the fuck up and she's drinking wine out of her sippy cup again she's taunting me let's get 
into it. Holy okay. shit, this chapter. So we open up with more of Harry being in the hospital wing with Quinn Pomfrey. I mm-hmm. just want to throw her out there, but Ginny, so cute. Yes, Ginny sends the... Well uh, There's a whole bunch of like stuff where Harry's like kind of overly thinking the Dementor situation, which is important, mm-hmm. obviously, for later on in this chapter. But this is actually where it really specifies what it is. It says, Harry felt sick and humiliated every time he thought of the Dementor. He said, but no one else collapsed every time they went near them. No one else heard echoes in their head of their dying parents because Harry knew who the screaming belonged to now. This is like his realization. And then he's just like sitting and thinking about this, probably when he's alone in the hospital wing and all of that. It's sad because me, I'm thinking of sad things. So then we get into Draco Malfoy celebrating by suddenly being cured because Hufflepuff beat Gryffindor. This is where it became even more apparent that he is teasing Harry for these things that are actually harming him, like, you know, dropping him several hundred feet. And then he was such a drama queen about the whole Buckbeak thing. That dynamic is important. I mean, it's right there and like, it's easy to notice it, but it just shows off, you know, the cowardice that Draco has more and more. The other thing, and we actually did not mention this in the last chapter, but we, I mean, we sorted it. We t- were talking about how well done the scene is where Harry is falling. Mm-hmm. And I want to bring it up here because you talk about his inner monologue, which obviously we can't get in the movie. Yeah. It's hard to replace his inner monologue at this moment. Well, yeah. But there is that one moment where the Dementor comes right up in front of him and how terrifying it is. And I feel like in some sort of way it is at least a little bit of a replacement of that so you can see how terrifying his point of view was before he plummets to earth oh yeah no 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 yeah i still think that mentioning that a whole moment is still important oh absolutely i agree with that i like that they have hermione checked to make sure that lupin is in there because ron's like oh yeah like i'm gonna skip if i have to deal with snape again fuck that noise snape is still being an asshole and we already talked so much about this it's ridiculous but i mean i guess it's sort of various repeating hey draco and snape haven't changed their tune right from last chapter this chapter i like that Um, lupin is like no you don't have to do this like i think lupin knows what the fuck snape is up to and he does it in a very calming way i guess i didn't think of this until now and i talked about like the idea of having subs at hogwarts and stuff Mm -hmm. but like there always were those kind of subs who kind of like went off the path and tried to like assign different things i guess to an extent but then when it comes back to the actual teacher it's like no you don't really have to do that they should have just you know put on bill nye the science guy That's what Snape should have done. He should have put on Bill Nye, the science guy, (laughs) that one episode about hinky punks, and just like chilled. But no, he had to try to show that he knew tough shit and tried to, you know, be an unprofessional motherfucker and expose Lupin. And that was rude. The other thing here is too, like, I like the description of like, oh yeah, it looks like Lupin was actually ill in this moment. In the past when I read this, I don't know if they alluded to like the phase of the moon or anything, but it made me sort of think oh okay well he's sick because he spent a whole knife out there werewolfing and like you know killing deers and you know hollering shit whatever <laughs> werewolves do and- <laughs> that's what werewolves do and now rereading this i'm like no he's just sick the description sounds like maybe he went to the hog head in and just like got completely fucked up and was like i'm hungover as shit i can't <laughs> teach 
but like despite that and him like recovering he's still like um a cool bitch so he's great which we knew and then he pulls harry aside for class he seeks him out i think to comfort him this is where we learn the thing about the whomping willow yes And kind of like that age similarity thing with Snape, at least. Since both of them are also described in the book, I think a lot older than they actually are. So it kind of does put them in the same age range. I can't really remember the way that Snape was initially described as far as his age. But in this book, it's continual. Reminding us that Lupin is a young person. Who looks old. Who looks old. Yeah. But I don't remember that with Snape at all. We always talk about the parents at this point being like our age. So like mid thirties. Harry's parents died when they were like 19 or something ridiculous like yeah. that. At this, this point, point like, yeah, Lupin would be our age. I don't think they necessarily ever allude to Snape's age, but they do always kind of refer to him being this like almost slimy looking creature. Yeah, because he's a piece of shit. <laughs> creature. Because he is. He's a slimy creature. A, I mean, it's perfect. <laughs> but because of that, like, I also wouldn't necessarily think, oh, he is only like mid 30s, you know? But I mean, I don't know. I know some people in their mid 30s who are slimy pieces of shit. I'm so right here, Adam, about? okay? <laughs> Very fucking rude. Well, she got me called out so (laughs) i found that to maybe be another little puzzle piece but you're completely right like in this chapter in particular i noticed them continued to talk about how like he looked older than he did and how he had like gray hair and stuff like that which to be fair i'm starting to grow gray hairs i mean not anymore because now they're purple (laughs) (laughs) i do want to comment on lupin's response to Harry being about to suggest that he's weak. I think that the idea of weakness is more than just like a negative thing in general to Lupin. I think that Lupin has struggled with the idea of defining what weakness really is. He's a werewolf and he has been probably through a lot of shit. And I feel like Lupin is very defensive about the idea of Harry thinking that he's weak because yeah. something terrible has happened to him. It says it has nothing to do with weakness, said Professor Lupin sharply, as though he had read Harry's mind. I don't think it's just about this child being his friend's child, but the idea of being unable to cope with something as a weakness, I guess. What you said kind of reminds me of like what I was just saying about with like Draco versus Harry and how Harry is quote unquote weak against these dementors in these moments. Or that's how he's perceiving it. Mm-hmm. Whereas Draco is weak towards the hippogriff. Mm-hmm. And I think that alone even is like a metaphor and Lupin kind of touches on it. And like, you know, you're being more effective on this because of X, Y, Z. And I think in real life, you know, everybody has moments like that where they fail at something, which is a human thing to do. Like everybody fails sometimes and it's different for everybody, you know, and how it's not letting this thing get you down or failing from something that makes you weak, but it's the way that you like recover from it or the way that you approach it or the way that you like turn it around and make it into your strength or something like that. So yeah, I agree with you. I think that it's like a nice lesson that he gives Harry. This is a really vulnerable conversation. Harry and Hagrid are very close, but just the deepness of this conversation, Harry flat out is like, to this person who he's known for what, four months now? When they get near me, I can hear Voldemort murdering my mom. Whoa. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then the reaction of Lupin, it says, 
Lupin made a sudden motion with his arm as though to grip Harry's shoulder, but thought better of it. There was a moment's silence then. That is the only indication we get until the end of the book that Lupin would have any kind of connection to Harry. I think beyond that, even, and like telling Lupin about like how he is experiencing this, you know, Harry's not dumb. Like he sometimes makes himself up to be. He is realizing that this is a problem that he is experiencing and a fear that he is experiencing and he wants to conquer it. And I think actually in reading this, the catalyst for me was that this thing now that I'm afraid of has gotten in my way of Quidditch. Mm -hmm. It's something similar to what I said in the last episode in terms of Quidditch is something that brings him joy and there's all this joyless stuff. And now this joyless stuff has prevented him from playing Quidditch and succeeding at Quidditch. So I almost think that's the catalyst for him asking for help and knowing that this is somebody who can handle whatever this is. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's still a vulnerable thing to do and reach out and say, hey, I need your help to overcome this. I almost can't even really think of an instance where maybe I'm blanking something out, but other than like the moment where they do go to McGonagall for the permission form, like when is another time that Harry has asked an adult for help directly like this? Not yet in this book series. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, he does ask for help from Fox, in the last book and that's what saves him you know but yeah i i think that this is one of those first times too so it's interesting like this is a fun little area of growth you know my one of my favorite themes in these books it's been a few episodes it, since you've mentioned growth i think it is i think you're right so here we go do one of those counters play the fucking popping cork it's important too because expecto patronum is not only a huge theme of this book it carries throughout the series. I mean, I think of book five too being huge with that. Yeah. After this, this is when it starts to become fucking Christmas. Uh, Yes. It's Christmas. Oh my God. I get a lot of Christmas in the first book, obviously, when I gave Christmas 200 points. But this book too, the way that they discuss it, and I think we get a little bit more of like the traditional Christmassy-ishness of it all. Christmassy-ishness. Christmassy-ishness. It's a word. The way that it's described and then also adding it into Hogsmeade, which is another one of my favorite things, and how they're like, oh, we can do like our last minute Christmas shopping at Hogsmeade and everything. I'm like, oh my God, I can't remember if I called Christmas triple Christmas in the last book, but this is triple Christmas. I think that you called it triple Christmas in the last book, but I could be wrong. I mean, maybe this is quadruple Christmas. I don't know why. Hogwarts, Hogsmeade, Christmas. Lots of Christmas. There's a lot of Christmas. It's really good. There is the moment, this is still a little bit from now, because he actually has to get to Hogsmeade, but how they mention it looking like a Christmas village. Mm-hmm. My Christmas village that I have around my Christmas tree is Hogsmeade. Hogsmeade. <laughs> and as everybody are going off, then this is when Fred and George are hiding behind a one-eyed bitch. A humpbacked which- one-eyed bitch witch. <laughs> That's right. That's a dick joke right there. <laughs> a humpback one-eyed bitch. <laughs> This is where we get one of my absolute favorite magical items in the, the fucking best series. Thing. Maybe my favorite. I want this so much. It's such a use fucking thing, too. Can you imagine if I had one of these things? I want one. And changed based on your location? I mean, I'm not sure if this has those capabilities, but well, man, that would be so fine. cool. Yeah. The Marauder's uh, Map comes into our lives. The fact that Fred and George are like, you need this more than us I in this know, moment. I know, they're so great. They have that little bullying moment with Percy in the at the beginning of this book, but I'm finding more and more moments where they are brotherly and they're not to bring up another like theme 
but they're like mentors almost yeah. in a different way that McGonagall or Lupin are to Harry. And this Marauder's Map has some additional features that, again, we're talking about the movie early, but that don't make it into the movie. The fact that he's like, okay, well, here's one of the secret passages. What am I supposed to do? And it shows the little Harry yeah. actually going up and using the, it's not Defindo, is it's it? It's Defindo. It is Defindo. Wow. I didn't even write that down. Good I'm job. I love the taglines of it. You know, I solemnly swear that I'm up to no good. And of course, they make sure that they tell him how to clear it, mischief managed, so that no one else can read it, which is important. This is one of those items where I almost am like, okay, where did they get this from? The fact that these students who were his age when they created it, created this magical thing that has this, I always like calling it magical technology, but had the skills to produce this thing, I think is just phenomenal. There is another little thing that Harry has in his inner monologue, which is amazing right here. He hearkened back to the diary. Yes. Time and how Arthur said, never trust anything that can think for itself. So I really enjoy that he like remembered that and it harkens back to something else similar. Me too. Yeah. Sort of. This is another one of those moments where we always talk about like, oh, is Harry actually trying to search for trouble or anything like that? This is one of those moments where I'm like, okay, he kind of actually is Mm -hmm. using mischief for his own gain or to get something that he wants. And in theory, it's not necessarily dangerous. So it's not him finding danger, except for the circumstances of everyone protecting him from Sirius Black and Sirius Black allegedly being out to get him. And what it does do, too, is it gives him additional information near the end of this chapter about, like, why, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of interesting. To harking back to other times where he is actually doing something, like using the invisibility cloak to go and sneak out of bed at night, right. he is doing it to find something else to help someone else or like somehow furthering on the the discovery of the mystery of what the philosopher's stone is or where the chamber of secrets is or whatever yeah in this case it's just like i just want to go drink some beer with my friends and get fucked up yeah oh the word is descendium i'm sorry it's descendium fuck i was close you were that i still get points for that you do you okay, do. Flitwick, no. you better give me full points. <laughs> or I'm going to put you in my locker because you fit in there. What? <laughs> if they had lockers at Hogwarts, Flitwick would be like slammed up in those lockers all the time. Except for because they're like, you're a little bit. The best. He would. He is. Poor little Flitwick. I take it back. I'm not going to put you in the locker, Flitwick, but you still better give me full points for that. Giving you the points. That's right. Yeah, so Harry going to use that map for his own fucking fun. He goes up in this passageways. I talked about this in the last chapter, but I like that it explains how Filch knows about some of them. And then this one is collapsed. And then the other one goes right underneath the Whomping Willow, which is such a cool tie-in for both the last few chapters of like how did Sirius Black get Mm -hmm. into the castle and what happens later. And I also really like how they explain this passage is like a giant rabbit burrow. I have a question for you. They talk about the one passage that is caved in. Do you think that it has any relationship to what happened the previous year in the Chamber of Secrets. Tell me more. The rocks being knocked? Yes. He says, don't bother with the one behind the mirror on the forest floor. We used it until last winter. 
but it's caved in, completely blocked. So last winter, which would have been before the Chamber of Secrets. So before Obliviate back. Yeah, Obliviate. That's what I was looking for. I like to think that it's from that. What else happened last winter? I mean, Ginny was attacking people through the Chamber of Secrets. They say that they used it until last winter. Maybe they didn't use it until after the winter. They were like, we don't need to use that no more. And then they were like, oh, fuck, we can't do it because motherfucking Gilderoy Lockhart used Obliviate. I just like to think that it's caved in because of Gilderoy Lockhart because he sucks. I'm trying to make this a thing. <laughs> like, I really want to connect it back. I know, me too. Why even mention it if it didn't have something to do with what happened last year? It's my new headcanon. I like it. I think that's another one. That's one of Tara's canons. Um, I'm just making it my own new headcanon for this fucking yeah, book. Yeah, don't give Tara canons because she is not very responsible and she will blow your head off. <laughs> now, the part about me being not responsible is accurate, but the part about me blowing your head off, probably not. I have terrible aim. <laughs> I mean, I think you're pretty responsible. <laughs> but you don't have good aim. That's true. Anyway. <laughs> So Harry goes to Hogsmeade. He does. He like, and he goes right up into Honeyduke. And he's like, no, and, Ron, I don't want that shit. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh, oh, man. I love this whole thing that he goes right into Honeydukes. What could be better? And of course, he connects right with Ron and Hermione. I really, really love that. You know, obviously, Hermione is trying to be like, you're going to turn this in, right? And do the typical Hermione stuff. Right. And then they're like, well, now that you're here, you got to taste this butterbeer shit. It gives you the best fucking buzz speech. And so then they go to the hogshead. When we get to the hogshead, that is where this big moment happened. This is one of the bombs being dropped in this book. You know how they do. This is where we learn who Sirius Black really is, that he's the godfather. He's the the godfather. (laughs) He is the godfather. (laughs) I'm sorry. I cannot do the like, like I can't do like the mafia accent or anything, but that's all I'm picturing now. I can do the French accent. I can do the Russian accent. Come on, Tara, help me out here. (laughs) We we need somebody to be Irish. (laughs) I can be Irish. But I can Tara's not be here. A <laughs> He's the godfather. <laughs> we learned that out. We learn that he was the secret keeper, which it's so great how they explain it in the book because that is something that completely gets lost in retellings of this. In that, if you choose this person as a secret keeper, even if they're like peering through your windows, they won't be able to find you. Right. Of course, the fact that they were friends that is important. Hagrid's dialogue here too, and like tying it back to those first few moments of the series where he says that he borrowed this motorbike from Sirius Black. That's all very important. And how Sirius said, well, I'm his godfather. You could just give him to me. And Hagrid followed through and followed the orders and everything. It goes into so much more detail than I remember it because, of course, the movies kind of like fuck with me, you know? I love learning all the things in this section of the chapter. However, I find this to be one of the most unrealistic parts of the series. I think that this is such an interesting group of people to be talking about this in broad daylight just like the last fucking chapter when they were talking about it at the sleepover yes so like here's the thing especially mcgonagall and flipic i think that they are very responsible adults who wouldn't be having these conversations in the middle of a pub with the minister of magic hagrid who's the loudest fucker on the planet and the woman who owns the pub like it's just an interesting assortment of people and Mm -hmm. i know that it's like played up uh it's right before the holidays so they're just letting off some steam and hanging out or whatever but they're talking about something that's so incredibly private personal and personal and it's personal about someone else 
which rubs me the wrong way, I guess, about this group. And I don't... Not only personal, but, like, very timely. Yeah. And, like, throughout this whole time, part of me is, like, why does Madame Rose Murder even need to be there? It starts with the whole thing of, like, oh, well, your Dementors are, like, keeping my customers away. But after that, I don't think that she's necessary there. The other thing is, like, the only thing that we know about Madame Rose Murder is that she owns the pub and that she has very fancy shoes. Why are Hagrid and Fudge in the same group? Literally, Fudge arrested him less than a year mm-hmm. ago. Like <laughs> That's a, a really great ago. point. What the fuck? Um, Fudge is there know, at all. Uh, it's weird. I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't going to say that, but I guess that's true. Like, it could literally just be, like, the teachers hanging around, and they're not even thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, that's like, less weird. I was going to say something about how Flitwick was an interesting choice. Like, why did they choose Flitwick? Now, I do enjoy the fact that we get a little bit of, like, their drink of choice. Yes. And how Flitwick basically orders a Shirley Temple. (laughs) I love Flitwick so much. Yes. Just a small gilly water for McGonagall and like all the beer that you fucking got for Hagrid. (laughs) So I did like that. Because at first I was like, well, having Madame Rose Murder there is kind of weird. And then having Hagrid there is kind of weird with Fudge, like you said. But Fudge doesn't really need to be there either. Unless Hagrid and Rose Murder have to be there because that is what the catalyst of the conversation was. Obviously, if the teachers are out like blowing off steam at the bar right before the holidays they're not just going to be like oh hey about that serious black guy that's why i'm confused by it because they're literally sitting in the bar apparently there's two bars in town one of them is dirty and gross and the students can go into this bar you're literally having this conversation in a place where students can be yeah obviously students are in there you didn't look around to see if there was anyone within distance there's a lot of adults fucking up in this book it makes me wonder if they would have even had this conversation hermione and ron and the whole like moving the christmas tree in front of their table is to protect harry from being seen right clearly yes but it almost makes me wonder are they so oblivious that they wouldn't have even realized it like if harry wasn't there it was just ron and hermione would they still have been saying all this stuff in front of their besties it's just irresponsible yeah So, which sucks to say about McGuh and Flitwick in particular, but... Yes, because I think that they're reliable adults. And a common theme in the series is obviously that, like, we're putting all of this on the children. And, and it is a children's story as far as those are our heroes and stuff. But the adults are kind of awful. And that's where the chapter ends. It's a cliffhanger. It's one of those moments where you don't just put down the book. <laughs> But yeah, it ends in a really weird place. I'm glad that it fucking ends because it's a long ass chapter. Yeah, that's true. Jesus. Fuck, Mary kill. We are going to look at three of the candies that Honeydukes has. Okay. I went back and forth because they have so many options, but I kind of went with the three that I, I was the most intrigued by. Okay. I was going to put jellied slugs in here because you can actually get jellied slugs on the internet or in Cleveland, like right around the corner from my house, we have this huge candy emporium called BA Sweeties. You can get them there. I've had those. So I'm like, I'm not going to include that. All right. Fuck, Mary kill. Fizzing Wisbees, peppermint toads, and sugar quills. When I feel like you have to fuck a sugar quill. <laughs> Why? Because it's phallic? <laughs> yes. That's like a sucker. And like, you know, when like, you break off like a sucker it gets like sharp and pointy that's dangerous that's true and what were the other options 
Peppermint toads and fizzing whizbies. Okay, well, I'm gonna marry a fizzing whizby because it's a fucking cool name, and I would like my last name to be fizzing whizby. So I guess I'm gonna kill some peppermint toads. Tara Jack of Potato Fizzing Whizby. Yeah. That's nice. It has a nice it's a good name, huh? Yeah. What do you got against peppermint toads? I had to choose someone to die. Yeah, I guess it's true. Okay. I am going to fuck the peppermint toads. Peppermint is one of my like favorite flavors of anything. <laughs> when it becomes Christmas time, I will fuck with a peppermint latte. Usually I don't put anything in my coffee. Around the holidays, I put peppermint in everything. So I would fuck with that. I'm actually gonna marry the sugar quill. I think the reason why is because there's something dignified and responsible feeling about a sugar quill. I don't know. Okay. It just felt like felt like a stable thing to do. Fizzing Whisbees sounds a little bit dangerous. And I know like when you go to like Harry Potter World, the Fizzing Whisbees are just like Pop Rocks in chocolate. Oh, and I kind of feel terrible. like that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to kill the Fizzing Whisbees. That's fair. That, that's also like any of these candies that are based on an insect, I don't really fuck with except for the jellied slugs because those things are good. But they do really focus on bugs a lot with all these candies. I mean, toads, I guess, aren't that much better, but like chocolate frogs are fucking cool. It's one of the first things you see in a series. I can fuck with some chocolate frogs. I mean, that's like a thing though. People like cover bugs in chocolate. Or sometimes I know, you that's just eat nasty. a grasshopper when you drink a drink from some random bar in Brooklyn. Yeah, we did that when we went to New York. I was literally <laughs> just talking about that. It was very offensive to me because I was the grasshopper to her ladybug in James the Giant Peach. And she did that in front of me and I was very angry. I was very drunk. <laughs> yeah, I know. You were very, very drunk. And the, uh, if I continue, I'm going to get off on a tangent. <laughs> Yeah, that's nasty. If you go to To Be A Sweeties too, I think that the bugs in like a lollipop are right next to all the Harry Potter candies. So maybe they're just like bug-related candies. Ew. And they go all this all together there. So yeah, I think that's what I'm gonna choose. I like it. Another alternative one would have been chocolate frogs, Bernie Bots, Jelly Slugs, because those are like maybe some of the. And you always the main... kill the Bernie Bots because you never know when they're gonna be vomit flavor. 100 fucking percent. I do not eat Bernie Bots. Anytime somebody gives them to me, I'm like, cool, another decoration. Great. Because I will not. <laughs> you kill the Bernie Bots. They're cool in theory. I love me some jelly beans. Not those jelly beans. Yeah, gross. Anyways. Moving on to the movie. movie. There's a lot of differences in the movie. I think the first thing that is in the movie is where Harry is walking through the forest with Lupin. Even though I like this scene, I think it's weird that they're just like, hey, would you like to go for a walk in the woods, Harry? Yeah, it's a little Tell weird. Tell about your fears. It's a little weird. Yes. Um, uh, this is where they have the conversation, though, about Harry learning how to defend himself against Dementors. Wait, that is so important. That's important. <laughs> it's a good thing they didn't cut that. So, so good on them. Then we get everybody going off to Hogsmeade. This is one thing where I was like, why didn't you bring your invisibility cloak in the book? Because I felt like it was obvious. I mean, 
he didn't have it on him, clearly. Yeah, well, he I mean, because he's out. not planning to. So here's the thing is that the movie shows us the one trip to Hogsmeade in the book. Because Harry does take his invisibility cloak when he goes to Hogsmeade later in the book. Because he's prepared. Yeah. yeah. They kind of smush both trips together. I think it's amusing that Fred and George are like watching for him and then they get him. Like, it's cute. It does a nice job of putting both scenes together because we're not going to get the other Hogsmeade scene. And in- including that movie magic of like the footprints in the snow to your point in that case some of the things that we do see in Hogsmeade about the shrieking shack and that little bat that he has with Draco that is very cute that obviously does not happen at this point it does not before we get to Hogsmeade though we do have this exchange of the map and while I do think it's cute that Fred and George catch him and everything this is another moment where they're in like some echoey stairwell or something and again I'm like what if Filch is like outside someone walks by while they're talking watch the movie again <laughs> i did Someone i didn't even notice walks through the hallway or you can see like a window or something but there was a point in the conversation they're having with harry where you see another student walk by oh my god he must have had his airpods in i hope so because otherwise <laughs> in 1994 whatever <laughs> they revealed a huge fucking thing yeah they're listening to their walkman now that's what i call music now that's what i call magic Oh, God, those are the late oh, 90s. Was, wow. I think those started in, like, 95, which this would have been 94. Well, Hogwarts is ahead of the game. They, they already real. got their compilation. Now that's what I call magic. So there's that little thing of, like, how, again, it's people not knowing how to have a private conversation. In the book, there's also some other details about Humpback Dick Witch Lady. Um, I that That is <laughs> kind of enjoyable. The other, like, fun little, like, features of the map are completely lost in the movie. I know. I think it's actually maybe a limitations of technology at that point. And maybe such a little detail that it was like, why even include it? Because the map is cool enough. I'm like, man, that sucks. It does look really cool in the movie, though. I think it's actually just so much of a better look for these fucking teachers. Also, though, like, they cut Flitwick out, which is stupid. Yeah. Um, But when they're all like, let's go upstairs in this private area and have this private conversation, it just Mm -hmm. looks better. It makes a lot more sense. I feel like it's a lot more natural. Hagrid also isn't there. Hagrid Hagrid is there outside, but he does not go upstairs. I will say Madame Rose Murda is not as classy in the movie either, but the way that she goes up and like shakes the whatever she had in her hand at the Minister of Magic about the Dementors is so unnatural and weird. weird. It feels like they have a pre-existing relationship or something. Like, it's very bizarre. Also, she makes it sound like the Dementors come in and drink. The the Dementors are like, we're just palling around, having a beer. Well, they scare away your customers because they're sheets with teeth. That's right. And if they were drinking beer, that would, you know, get stains up in their sheets. (laughs) There's a joke somewhere in there i don't know what it I is don't know. i don't know what it is what is a dementor's favorite drink <laughs> that's gotta be a joke that's gotta be a joke someone hold on hang on i need to do some research wait one second what's a dementor's favorite drink please tell me oh you know you know what comes up when i do look for it butterbeer wow real clever internet that's internet, you fucking suck. dumb that is bad that is not a good joke if Madame Rose Murder ever runs out of ingredients for her fucking butterbeer, she can come over to my house. Because during this quarantine, I cleaned out my bar and I found that I have three bottles of butterscotch schnapps from making butterbeer twice. And Madame Rose Murder don't need to borrow that from you. She's like, wow, better call up my main supplier, Adam. <laughs> 
But yeah, I agree. Everything about this scene in the book is to an extent, I think, remedied a little bit in the movie. The fact that he does have his cloak and uses it to get upstairs, that also kind of helps, I think. But then they use one of your favorite little devices in this movie to make sure that Ron and Hermione can't come in, and that's the shrunken heads. Fucking The shrunken heads were just like, you can't do that. No minors this time, bitches. No underage bitches. I don't understand this director's fascination with shrunken heads. We never see them again. I don't understand. Changes that this director did make that I really appreciate that were bold and different like the boggart scene for example i think that this decision to bring the conversation upstairs is to i think i agree like the shrunken heads were such a weird thing to include just for this movie yeah like what's the purpose of them i i don't know i don't know and how the fuck are they going to keep these children with bodies from coming into the bar (laughs) yeah fuck children with bodies (laughs) you might want to rephrase that (laughs) I could edit that to sound really dangerous. Just said children with bodies. You said fuck children with bodies. <laughs> hey, remember earlier this season when you wanted to fuck fluffy dinky butters? No, I have never said that. You were like, I'm going to fuck that child. I didn't say that. Yeah, yeah, okay. I know what you said, and so did the viewers, and I can bring it up. I'm not gonna because I'm lazy, but I could very well be like, hey, flashback, Tara saying I would fuck Fluffy D. (laughs) Anyway, Fudge also talks about how he lost a finger. In the book, it's something about like only certain parts of his body were still around or something, which makes it sound like, oh, Sirius Black destroyed all Peter Pettigrew except for his dick. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what it sounds like, obviously. I read yep, the book and, and that's what I'm thinking. And Ron is like, wow, oh my God, Scabbers is also missing his dick. <laughs> I mean, spoiler alert, guess what? He actually is missing his dick because Peter Pettigrew is a dickless no bitch. Can we have the last comment on one of Dana Radcliffe's not stellar acting oh, moments? Oh my gosh, yes. I, so uh, the chapter does not end in the bar after learning about Sirius Black and everything. There's this other scene... <sighs> Take it away, Tara. I feel like an asshole for saying this because I really, first of all, love Daniel Radcliffe as Harry. I think he's wonderful. I actually love Daniel Radcliffe in general. I think he's exceptional as an actor. This is not his strongest acting moment. He says the same line twice. The first time he says it, it's beautiful. He was their friend. He was their friend. And the second time I'm like, oh, okay. Now, I just want to say that I'm not really sure what it takes to get like a 12, 13, 14-year-old actor who has never obviously experienced his actual parents being murdered by their best friend. Like, this is obviously a very unusual situation that a very young and new actor has no frame of reference for. So I'm just kind of like, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, but you do so much good work that I'm frustrated. Dan, not your best moment. And you know, he probably thinks that too. And that's a director thing too. So again, not 100% on him, but... This scene is, I don't think, the best necessarily way that they could have finished it off. I mean, obviously it's something that he had to tack on that wasn't in the book because Ron and Hermione heard it firsthand in the book. It's very dramatic. Literally, we're three movies into this series and we've already had moments where Harry experiences things without them, but then he fills them in and we don't really see him fill them in because we've already seen it. So we don't need them to yeah. I'm reiterating it. So why can't we just assume that Harry tells them this? 
So that's a really good point too. Up with Hermione and Ron comforting him or something. I feel like the rest of the movie does so many cool things to tell the story that it needs to tell, even though it does a lot of changing of how the story is told. It doesn't fit everything else. I don't know. That's my feeling. That's a really great point. I mean, it's no end of the second movie, but <laughs> still, it, it's definitely out of, out of place. Let's end the movie on a high point. One other thing that I neglected to talk about earlier, Honeydukes. And Hogsmeade in the snow looks so fucking good. Honeydukes is just perfect. The one kid has like cotton candy in the shape of a heart, and then he steals Neville's sucker. I hate and they that go he does that because that's not. It's, it's not something he would do. I think that's a movie choice, you know, like to make things kind of fun. Yeah. To your point about like the last scene, my only thought is like, did they leave it in for more like hijinks with an invisibility cloak? And if they did, that's unnecessary because we already got the footprints in the snow moment from earlier mm-hmm. and we got him stealing the sucker, which was another one of those moments. But Hogsmeade looks beautiful. It's perfect. And so does the inside of Honeydukes. Yes, agreed. <laughs> I have less points to give than last chapter, thank God. I am giving five to Ginny for the get well card. Aww. And I'm giving five to Madame Rosemurda. <laughs> Part of me is like, why did you do that? She's kind of not great and not very important. But I was like, she got fancy shoes. So I'm going to give her five points. You do you. Plus 10 to Flitwick, Hagrid, and McGuh. Mostly for like their dialogue in the conversation and like the information that we learn from them. Not so much Flitwick. Flitwick's just being cute with the Shirley Temple. But I love him. I mean, it's valuable information. It's very awkward and irresponsible of them. But I still think there's something about that moment that I'm like, well, I still think it warrants points. I mean, they're not getting like a ton. It's plus 10 to each of them. Plus 25 each to Fred and George for giving Harry the Marauder's Map. Yes. Of course. And then I took negative 20 away from Draco, negative 50 away from Snape again, because they're still fucking assholes in this chapter. And I don't like it. it. I do realize that I did not give any points to Lupin in this chapter, which is maybe a bit of a hindsight, but don't worry. Lupin is like top tier echelon in this book already. Like, and he's going to be getting some more. So he didn't get the points this chapter because I was tired. That's a good reason. Yeah. Yeah. So next time we're going to read chapter 11, The Firebolt. Good. You were prepared. I just looked it up while you were doing your points. Good job. I was was multitasking. Very proud of you. (laughs) Gee, The Firebolt. What could be happening in the next chapter? Um, I don't know. (laughs) Well, at the very least, this chapter and the last chapter, I think, will be a lot easier to listen to because Anchor can shit bricks no that's not that's not a phrase that's that works right there eh. can kiss my grits is that what i was saying you know what know. you know what we tried it let's not hang it all on anchor it just wasn't working it was for fine us. it was okay it was but better Zancaster is quinn yes but not yes. like mcguquin no no not mcguquin not pomfrey quinn not dumble quinn not even buckbeak quinn Can't. but it's still quinn yes it's pretty good so everyone stay safe and stay fucking home oh my god i thought you were gonna say stay sexy and don't get murdered <laughs> stay sexy and don't get murdered <laughs> yeah that too we start the episode with trying to get one of the cats to meow for cookies and we end with that but really, stay, stay the fuck home. Stay the fuck home. Yeah. Stay safe. Stay saved and do God's mission. Bye. 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 <laughs>
Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by Adam Bowers. And published by Tara Corkery via Podbean. And now available for download wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us. We hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. And if you didn't enjoy us, then we're sorry you're so angry. Please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. We're excited to get more feedback from our listeners and to hear what you have to say about the questions and discussions we have on the podcast. Catch Catch you later, snitches. snitches!